Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. And the Philistines called for the priests, the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we shall send it to its place. Now, these, are, these men who were priests and diviners, they were priests within their own false idolatrous worship system. Okay, These weren't priests like Levites or anything like that. These were their own priests uh, from Dagon and the many gods. The Philistines were polytheistic, which means that they worship many gods. It wasn't just one. They worship many. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio. After taking the Ark of the Lord, the Philistine priests had enough sense to know they offended the Lord God. Therefore, they knew they should do something to express their sorrow and repentance before the Lord. They made a specific offering that recognized that it was the Lord who brought the plague upon the Philistines. They said, We know these plagues were not accidents. We know the Lord God of Israel has caused them. We apologize to the Lord God and ask him to turn away his anger. Now let's join Pastor Rob for today's lesson. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 6. And let's read 1 Samuel chapter 6 in its entirety. And then we'll come back and take a look at it. Remember, uh, before we do that, that... The Philistines came against the Israelites in the town of Aphek. They had a battle, and the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the battle against the Philistines. The, the Jews at the time, they, they knew what an important uh, thing the Ark of the Covenant was to them. It was the very presence of God with them. And, and, and isn't it true that if we're not careful, the thing that we believe in or the thing that we you know, God's presence is, you know, the Shekinah glory was above that ark at, at different times in Israel's history. But we can sometimes get so focused on the object itself rather than the God of the object. And there is the problem with humanity, not just for the Jews, but also for all of us. We have a tendency to, to look at the thing that God uses rather than God himself. And because God, we can't see with our eyes. We can see an ark. And I think that's where the hang-up is for most of us. Unbeliever and believer. We like to see things. But faith is a substance of, thing, not, of things not yet seen, but the evidence of things not, uh, evidence of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not yet seen. I think I got that messed up, but you, you understand what I mean. <laughs> we don't need necessarily to see to believe, because seeing is not necessarily believing. In fact, you have to believe without seeing. 
Because how can you know that he is there if you don't believe without seeing? Because none of us have seen Jesus in the flesh like the apostles did. So we have to believe by faith. And so the Israelites brought the ark into battle with them, thinking that it was like a lucky charm, a rabbit's foot, and the ark gets taken away from them. The worst thing that could have happened. National tragedy. (laughs) The ark gets taken. And the Philistines, they send it to Ashdod first, and we we saw this in chapter 5. They send it to, there were five different uh, cities within the... um, Within the uh, five different Philistine cities, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ekron, Ashdod, and Gath. And so the first place they send it is the place where their God was located, where the shrine or the temple of Dagon was, this Philistine uh, Phoenician deity of, of fertility. And it was a, uh, an idol, half man, half uh, fish. And they bring it into their temple, the temple, you know, the Dagon falls down before Dagon, or Dagon, I'm sorry, falls down before the ark, and, the, and, the, and it finally it breaks the second time. And then God strikes them with, with all kinds of plagues, boils, literally hemorrhoids. Isn't that nice? He strikes them, and they send the thing down to uh, Gath from that point. They send it down to Gath. And then finally, it breaks out on them too. So this plague, some even think it might have been the bubonic plague. They send that to Ekron, another Philistine city. The, the plague breaks out on them too. And so they, they said, enough with this thing. We're going to send it to Beth Shemesh. They set it on a cart and put two milk cows, hook it up that never been yoked before. And they put their calves away from them. And, they, and by God's providence... They, they go on the road and they take it right to Beth Shemesh. People at Beth Shemesh um, look inside the ark. God wipes some of them out because they weren't supposed to do that, violating the word of God. And so we come to chapter 6. And it says, Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And so, and the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should tend it or send it to its place. So they said, If you send away the ark of of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return it to him with a trespass offering. And then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, What is the trespass offering which we will return to him? And they answered, Five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. Therefore you shall make images of your tumors, images of your rats that ravage the land. Notice the rats are a significant part of this. Because in the 14th century, rats were actually one of the, the main reasons, the main spreaders of the bubonic plague in Asia and Europe. Fleas and rats. It was also transmitted airborne, but notice that they were ravaging the land. And he says, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you and from your gods and from your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he did mighty works among them, did they not let the people go that they might depart? Now, therefore, make a new cart, 
take two milk cows which had never been yoked and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them and then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side. Then send it away and let it go and watch. And if it goes up to the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it was not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. By chance. Hmm. Then the men did so. They took two milk cows, hitched them to the cart, shut up their calves at home, and they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the images of their tumors. Then the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went. I can almost see the picture, can't you, in your head? I mean, having been to Israel three times now, I, I, we, we've been to this area, and, and, I, and I can just see the contour of the land, and I can see the cart, and I can see the ark on it, and I can see the little box with the golden hemorrhoids and the, the golden rats on it, and I can see them just lowing as they go, ooh, ooh. You know, it looks like a milk commercial. And there they go. The cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went. And they did not turn aside to the right hand or the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. So they're following afterwards. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted their eyes. They saw the ark. And they rejoiced to see it. And so then they took... Then the, then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there. A large stone was there. So they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which were the gold articles, and put them on the large stone. And then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings, made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. And so when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to the Ekron the same day. And these are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, and again, here are the five major cities of the Philistines. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, and one for Ekron. And the golden rats. I like that. Golden rats. You guys had dinner yet? Golden rats. According to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the Lord, as the large stone of Abel on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. But notice what happened there. He struck the men of Beth Shemesh. Why? Because they looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people. And the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall it go up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it with you. With you. Excuse me. So let's go back to the, the first verse here. A very interesting chapter. It says that the Lord, uh, that the ark was with them for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests, the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we shall send it to its place. Now, these, are, these men who were priests and diviners, they were priests within their own false idolatrous 
worship system, okay? These weren't priests like Levites or anything like that. These were their own priests uh, from Dagon and the many gods. The Philistines were polytheistic, which means that they worship many gods. It wasn't just one. They worship many. And uh, can you imagine the, the, how difficult that must be to appease so many different deities, I mean, there was a God for everything, and uh, anything that happens in the heavens, anything that happens with drought or anything, you start worshiping that God a little more, and you start screaming a little louder and a little harder. And can you imagine what an awful thing that is? Because now everything is suspicious, or you know, you're superstitious of everything that happens, because if something happens to you, it must be because the God was angry at me, and I better find out why. But that's the way the Philistines were. And notice in verse 3, they said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, don't send it away empty. Notice that in their superstition, that they treat the God of Israel, Jehovah, like he's one of their polytheistic gods. Like he's some, somehow he's uh, on the same level as their other gods. And the truth of the matter is, there's no one like God. There's no one like Jehovah God. He is the creator of all things. He made the heavens. The heaven of heavens can't even contain him, the Bible says. And it says in Isaiah 57, verse 15, it says, Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Eternity. He inhabits eternity. That I can't even fathom eternity. Why? Because, and I don't think you can either. Can anybody here fathom eternity? We've lived in time our whole life. All of our ancestors lived within this physical property called time. And yet he's speaking about something that's completely different. Something that's completely away from our understanding. It's not even just an absence of time, but it's a quality. There's a quality about it that's so much better, especially with him. There's a quality, but it's without end. It never ends. And if you think that it ever ends, it just it never ends. I don't know about you, but I really am looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to even being on this earth during the millennial reign in my new body. And I'm looking forward to seeing all of you too. Looking forward to having dinner over at your house. Maybe we'll have manicotti. Get it, manna? All right, whatever. But notice their superstition took got the best of them. And instead of giving glory and honor to this one who really put down their God. Have you heard that saying, my God is bigger than your God? I think Jehovah God, the God of the Jews, pretty much made small work of their God, Dagon. Right? And he does to any other gods that would take the, have the audacity to rise against him. All power belongs to him. No one like him. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he glorious? Isn't he... Beyond anything you can possibly imagine, isn't his love perfect? Isn't his grace wonderful that we all get to enjoy? And hopefully we'll be the, 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 not only the beneficiaries of that love, compassion, and grace, forgiveness, all of that, and we can be a conduit of that to everyone around us. Everyone, right? But instead of this, they, they, they could have just repented, you know, after they saw their God fall flat on his face. If I were them, I'd say, you know what? I don't know who this God is, but I'm putting away Dagon. I'm going to serve this one. And they had the opportunity, but such is the heart of man. You get into a habit of things, and you just continue doing them. And it's interesting, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, this is a verse that we know very well. What does Jeremiah, what does God say that he's speaking through his prophet? He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. 
and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There's the question that God asks, and he answers the question in verse 10 of that same chapter. He says, I, the Lord, who can... The heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Well, there is one who can know it, and he does know it. He is, he says, I, the Lord, I search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Notice, the fruit of his doings. God knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows all things. You cannot hoodwink God. There is no power that can say, aha, I got you. There's no way. It's not happening. Try playing chess with the man who's already seen the end game. Who knows all the moves. And no matter what you do, you could have, you could have been schooled by Kasparov himself. And God will say, go ahead. Take your best shot. I'll even close my eyes. I'll even go to another room. You, know, you can turn the board around. You can mix the pieces around. Just do it. Go ahead. I already know. That's the God we serve. He cannot be undone. He cannot be thwarted. His plan will not be thwarted, no matter what it is. If it's his perfect will, guess what? There's nothing in heaven above or on earth beneath that can stop God. He is a loving locomotive. Amen? (laughs) And I love that. A locomotive of love. That's what he is. He's coming to a town near you. Hopefully he's already been there. He's blown the whistle. But notice that, notice that they believe that if they did these things, that God would heal them. If they put the tumors and the, the gold images, if they did those things, they, they had, had a, even, a, even in their idolatry, they had a, a belief, a faith of some kind. You know, sometimes pagans can have more faith in God than those who purport to believe in him. And that's really shameful when that happens. Remember what that happened with Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, remember there was a centurion who had a servant who needed to be healed, and the servant or the centurion answered the Lord. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. Now remember, this servant, this centurion, is a Roman citizen. He's a Gentile, and he's speaking these things, and no doubt around a bunch of Jews. And here is Jesus marveling at this man. And he says, um, Jesus, when he heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, remember, he said it to those who followed him, which probably were Jews. He said, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found so great faith, no, not even in Israel. And I bet that really hurt them. But again, was it truth? It was truth. The truth sometimes stings, doesn't it? The truth will often sting. When God throws a truth out, usually somebody, you'll hear a... When you throw a stone in the middle of a pack of dogs, one of them gets hit. And it stings. But it doesn't mean he doesn't love the dog. But that truth will wound a little bit. But that wounding should draw us closer to him rather than repel us further away from him, right? That's God's intention. That's his heart. There's no other way around it. I won't do anything unless I'm wounded. Unless I'm brought to an end of myself, I very rarely will do anything spiritual. But it's when I'm crushed. It's when I'm aware of my sin. It's when I've blown it. Those are the times that I'm listening really intently. But when everything is going fine, very 
more often than not, I go about my merry way. Can anybody say amen to that? I mean, we don't like to say amen to that, but that's human nature, isn't it? Unfortunately, that's what happened. But notice what he said. He says, I have not found so great a faith, not even in Israel. And Jesus didn't even need to go there. He just said, your son, your servant is healed. And he found out that same day that he was. But these Philistines, they had enough faith to believe that if they just put this trespass offering in, that somehow God would heal them. I think that's remarkable, even in their, even in their, um, even in the place where they were at spiritually. Now we go on to verse four. Notice what it said. Then they said, "What is the what is the trespass offering which we shall return to him?" And they answered, five golden tumors, literally hemorrhoids." When this thing happened, when this plague came upon them. Many believe it was the bubonic plague because the bubonic plague had you would develop boils in your private areas and also under your armpits for some reason, huge ones. I mean, I'm talking like golf ball, baseball size sometimes, and they are very, very painful. So this was not an easy thing for them to go through. But as a pagan culture, whatever hurts them, that's what they put their worship into. And so instead of just... You know, they could have just asked the Lord to forgive him. You know, they could have just got on their faces and say, Lord, we repent of our idolatry. All these gods mean nothing. We bow to you alone. Lord, please heal us. And you know what? I bet the Lord would have said, oh, wonderful. And I bet he would have done it. I bet he would have done it if they would have cried out to him. But they didn't. So they put five golden tumors, five golden rats... According to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of, the, of you and your lords. Notice they put not only the, 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 the cause of it, but also the effect. Does that make sense? The cause and the effect. What was the cause of it? Or what was the spreader of it? The rats. And the tumors were the result of it. So the cause of it and the effect of it, they make gold images out of those things because they know no better. So they're like, we better cover all of our bases. So they do that. And because they were polytheistic, they wanted to make sure that if they thought they had offended any one of those gods, that they would do whatever they could to appease him. But superstition was something that really ruled them. Superstition is actually a belief or practice resulting from ignorance, uh, the fear of the unknown. It's also a trust in magic or chance or a false conception of causation. That's what superstition is. And our country is filled with superstition. I was brought up with superstition. You know, the black cat, the number 13, Friday the 13th. You know, don't step on a crack. You make your mother, you know, break your mother's back. Um, You know, if a bird hits a window, it's bad luck. You know, there's all kinds of don't go underneath a ladder. That's bad luck. And, you know, knock on wood. All these things. And in every culture, every culture in the world, and I've been over to Bulgaria. I've been over to Israel. They all have their different superstitions, and it's embedded in our upbringing. How many times do you say good luck to somebody? Not that it's a sin to say good luck. I mean, and that's not going to send anybody to hell, right? Re- you know, rejecting Christ to the end is going to send us to hell if we're not born again. But saying those things aren't going to send you to hell or anything. But you know what? I- I've often caught myself thinking differently about the things that are very prevalent in our culture. Instead of saying good luck, I say the Lord bless you. <laughs> you know, that's really more accurate. That's really what I, because luck has nothing to do with it. Luck has nothing to do with it. 
It has nothing. And I believe, this is my opinion, I believe that we don't honor the Lord when we hold to such superstitions. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.